listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Get to share a great story with you today with one of our missionaries serving the Lord in Eurasia. Excited to share this story with you and especially about a conference that you can join in on online. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Dr. John Bombaro. He's assistant to the regional director of the Eurasia region for the LCMS Office of International Mission. Focusing on in, in uh, theological education, Dr. Bombaro, thanks for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So you serve in, you're one of these, I, I don't know if bivocational pastors is the <laughs> correct term, because in addition to being a missionary, you also serve as a Navy chaplain with the Marine Corps. Can you touch on that for us a little bit before we get into your work as a missionary, what it's like serving as a Navy chaplain with the Marine Corps? Sure. Uh, my wife doesn't call bivocational, but plate spinning. I think that's the technical <laughs> term for it. She would know, right? <laughs> that's right. I was at a parish in San Diego, Grace Lutheran Church, very mm-hmm. beautiful, one of, architecturally one of our most significant churches. And found myself immersed in a culture of the Navy and the Marine Corps. The largest naval base in the world is there. The largest Marine Corps base with Camp Pendleton is there as well. <clears throat> and I kind of felt like a, a fish out of water and that our ministry could be expanded significantly if I would consider the Chaplain Corps. I had served in the Marine Corps uh, right out of high school. So the military wasn't something that was foreign to me, but dear to me. And it was a um, Roman Catholic chaplain at... Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island, that introduced me to uh, our holy faith. I moved into the Lutheran tradition, always wanted to be a priest. Uh, but in that tradition, um, a wife and children don't work well. So uh, in our tradition where the uh, the truth is extolled and, and preserved and our wonderful confession became really attractive feature. As a chaplain, I have an opportunity to spend time with our LCMS brethren who are in the military, both men and women. Also, there's opportunity to advise the command, to facilitate for all people, and to provide care for all members as well as their families. Navy chaplains provide chaplain care for Marines, Navy sailors, and the Coast Guard. So you could wear three different uniforms in the course of your service as a Navy chaplain. I've had the privilege to work with uh, among the best of our chaplain corps, um, most recently with um, Chaplain Gregory Todd, who is a one-star admiral at the Pentagon. And then so too, of course, things are headed up by Craig Mueller at the IC in St. Louis, who does a marvelous job of keeping us all connected through COVID and providing wonderful opportunities to serve the Lord and our people. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your service as a chaplain. I know that's that is uh, much needed work for our our men and women in uniform to be able to hear the the gospel as they serve our country. So thank you for your your service in that capacity. It's Share a with us to do it for patriots like you. <laughs> Share with us your uh, your work now in in the in Latvia in the Eurasia region. What does your work there look like? In, when Latvia regained its freedom from 
communist depression and Soviet occupation in 1991, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod saw that there was a need there. Remarkably, despite the oppressiveness of communism and its concerted efforts to stamp out Christianity, Lutheranism still survived, and it survived in the homes of the Latvians, where the confession was recited, where prayers were offered up, and where the catechism was kept together. It was really in song where Lutheranism was preserved throughout that region so that when the Iron Curtain came down, some 20% of the population said, we're Lutheran. And remarkably, there was a big need for Lutheran pastors who had been suppressed in about, at the end of World War II, some 80% of all clergy were gone from the country. In 1997, the LCMS uh, gifted the Latvian Evangelical Lutheran Church with a seminary. We literally bought them a building and then sent over Bill Weinreich, one of our wonderful professors from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, to serve as a rector and to help them build a curriculum, which he did. He remained there for five years. Since that time, however, the enrollment has dropped off, but the need has increased. With the rise of nationalism, the people of Latvia, like throughout all of Central Europe, are finding that their history and heritage is bound up with Christianity, and so Christianity is resurging in the region. There is a greater need to provide pastors and church workers throughout the region, and so a strategic plan was hatched in uh, a couple of years ago with my um, boss and supervisor in the region, the Reverend James Krikova, along with Dan McMiller, who is our director, we sent over two teams of missionaries. That would be Charles and Connie Courtright, who are in Riga right now, and the Bombaro family. And so what we were to do was to help rebuild the curriculum, update it, uh, which has not been updated in about 14 years, we were also to launch an English online Bachelor's of Theology program. And the genius of the program was to have our seminarian, uh, I'm sorry, our missionaries, along with the seminary professors that were there and compensated, provide the teaching. This dropped the cost significantly because our missionaries are supported by you know, a networks of our Lutheran churches within the U.S. In other words, our missionaries... Um, they, they're compensated, they're provided for by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. So it was sort of like they were getting free professors, which allowed us to drop the costs significantly to train people throughout the entire Eurasia region, especially those who did not have financial means, but were indeed called uh, to be trained for holy ministry. So we're going for uh, a re- a not only reaccreditation in 2022 within Latvia, but we're reaching for European Union accreditation, which will allow our program to go uh, Eurasia-wide with accreditation. Thus far, uh, we've gone two semesters, and it has been a fantastic success. Praise be to God. Wow. You mentioned earlier a little bit of the history of Latvia, about the regained freedom of Latvia and how that impacted the church. How are Lutherans regarded in Latvia and and within the region and neighboring countries as well? Well, the Latvian Lutherans particularly as confessional and liturgical, they're respected for their learning. Prior to World War II, Latvia produced the greatest concentration of 
PhDs in Europe. It was a very learned culture, of course, decimated again by World War II and, and communism, but it's making a resurgence. So the, the Latvians are known to be very traditionary, very family-oriented, and it is a very family-friendly place even now. Um, and in terms of their commitment to the scriptures and the customs of Lutheranism, yeah, they remain quite traditionary, which is why they are a good sister church for the LCMS to partner with during this time. What have you come to uh, appreciate about your time with the Latvian Lutheran Church, about the, the way that, that uh, they uh, are a learned culture and the way that they appreciate the liturgy of the Lutheran Church? I think especially within the church, the warmth and welcome the bond of trust that's been established is um, not to be taken for granted. The fact is Latvia is a, a cold climate culture. And what I mean by that is not merely the weather, which of course is cold, um, but more in terms of personality. A hermeneutic of suspicion has settled upon the people, as you can imagine, having been occupied and worn torn for the better part of the 20th century. And people are not outgoing. Uh, it's not uncommon for people to live next door to one another for years and years and not know one another's names. In the church, it's different. And so what I've appreciated is the the risk-taking that uh, the Latvian Lutherans have engaged in, one, to get the gospel out within their communities, and two, a willingness to partner with other churches. And so, yeah, that's risky business, but they have been very strategic and calculating in doing so. And so... I think for all of us who have encountered Latvian Lutherans, they have garnered our admiration and approbation. Are there any traditions or uh, uh, customs of the uh, Lutherans in this region that you've learned to appreciate? The the churches are magnificent. So they not only are are you going to find old churches, and I'm talking churches that date down date back well before the Reformation that are still in use. Ones that were erected during the time of the Reformation, which are extraordinary. A very high regard for aesthetics. So whether it be art, architecture, iconography, fixtures, paintings, high art has been incorporated into the church. There's not a lot of what we would call kitsch, you know, (laughs) bad art uh, in there. And neither is it Spartan, as one would think. When... The Lutheran Church in 1523, so they had already been embracing the Reformation from 1521, thanks to Johannes Bugenhagen, Luther's pastor, who was from the Pomeranian region, sending up tracts and literature up there. By 1523, they had embraced the Reformation nationwide. And what was interesting about that is they didn't decimate the churches. There was no iconoclasm taking place. So to this day, to walk into a Lutheran church in Latvia is going to be a visual and sensory experience. That's something I've greatly appreciated, you know, in contradistinction um, to particularly a lot of North American pragmatism or utilitarianism when it comes to church architecture or the interior. So much history, it sounds like, that has has been retained and not lost in 
the in the Lutherans in this region. Uh, and uh, looking forward to learning more about the upcoming conference that you'll be sharing uh, with the well with folks worldwide, as I understand it's going to be online. So looking forward to learning more about that. And we'll do that in just a moment. We're talking with the Reverend Dr. John Bambaro. He's assistant to the regional director of the Eurasia region for the LCMS Office of International Mission. We have more to talk about here on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with the Reverend Dr. John Bambaro, who's assistant to the regional director of the Eurasia region for the LCMS Office of International Mission. What does that mean? Uh, he's uh, He focuses on theological education in Latvia and uh, has a conference coming up very soon that I want to learn more about. Dr. Bambaro, tell us about the the upcoming Lost Art of Lutheranism conference. It's one that we do, I think, quarterly, uh, that I've been invited to speak to now on, on a quarterly basis. It's headed and organized by uh, the Reverend Dr. Sorin Triffa, who is one of the LCMS's Alliance missionaries. So he is a native, a resident and the presiding bishop for the Romanian Lutheran Church. And he organizes conferences within his sphere of influence, which stretches into not merely Romania, uh, but all the way into Italy and uh, in other regions. And so <clears throat> he's asked me to come and speak. I think the last one I had done on Christmas time was a theology of gift and how I could uh, use uh, this concept of gift in scripture to narrate a first theology, how we understand the father is the giver and the son is the gift and the Holy Spirit is the giving, that type of thing. Um, so this conference, uh, The Lost Art of Lutheranism, is really poised for pastors and laypersons who are engaged in the church for the betterment of the church. But looking back to our history, seeing what were the best practices within Lutheranism and see if we could recover those things for the strengthening of the church, particularly in regions that are strong enclaves of Catholicism or orthodoxy. What are some of the topics that you're going to be covering? This sounds uh, very interesting. Well, I've been collating material on the lost art of Lutheranism, which I hope to set out as a book at some point. Mm. And I've hit on things, some which are peculiar to North America and so would not be <laughs> applicable. For instance, the placement of flags in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. um, th this was not a custom of Lutheranism, nor this association with national identity. So you would never find, you know, sort of the German flag inside the sanctuary. But you find the American flag almost ubiquitously um, throughout Lutheran churches. But that's not a practice of Lutheranism, much less the contrived um, Methodist 
Christian flag, uh, which is supposed to, you know, have this sort of global representation of Christianity under the banner of this flag, which, oh, interestingly, looks just like the American flag with the same colors and such. Uh, no wonder it was invented here. But you won't find that flag in Brazil or uh, in Iran, m- much less Russia or any other place. It, it, it simply doesn't have place. So that's whether it be the place of Mary in the church or um, practices concerning incense uh, or private confession, these sort of things are topics that I would talk about uh, for the lost art of Lutheranism. In this case, I have three topics, and my topics pertain to forging a sacramental culture, which of course is deeply important to Lutheranism. And then in the second two lectures, I unpack that with uh, restoring Lutheran practice and identity surrounding Holy Communion, and then following that, the practice of private confession. And it's really from Harold Sankbile's excellent book on pastoral care called The Care of Souls. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, bur- that book, it is certainly worth reading, maybe the best book on pastoral care ever written. I'm taking what he suggests uh, should be the common practice for all of Lutherans, and which indeed was the practice of Lutheranism through the 17th century, and that is to have office hours for private confession and absolution, to make that part of the uh, the capstone or the most utilized tool in pastoral care. There's so much more to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Just the just the the cultural differences alone that you mentioned, I hadn't really thought about how significant those are. Um, so the the first one was um, building a, a forging a, sacramental, a sacramental, yeah, a sacramental culture. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, what are the, the there will be several presentations in this conference over the course of what March twelfth through the fourteenth? Is that right? That's correct. So forging a sacramental culture. What else will you be teaching on in the conference? Well, the the second uh, lecture has to do with Holy Communion, and I've entitled that one, Do This in Remembrance of Me, Restoring the Altar Text of Luke 22, 19. So so there's this interesting practice that started by way of a controversy within the Lutheran Church during the times of Luther and Melanchthon. There was uh, a pastor who uh, knew that one of his uh, colleagues was... um, pouring the communion wine back in the bottle after Holy Communion. And uh, <clears throat> this engendered his, his ire. And so he wrote the Melanchthon and said, what do we do about this? Well, Luther gave one answer and Melanchthon gave another. And it was the Luther's answer that we settled on. And so the custom of the church to show that the sacramental action and the sacramental presence of Jesus Christ had come to fruition, had concluded in Holy Communion, was visibly represented by clearing the altar entirely and setting the altar book at center. So if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic mass and at the end of Holy Communion, you see the acolytes come up and the priest hands them uh, all of the fixtures from Holy Communion, the vessels and such, and they cart them away. They took that lock, stock and barrel from the Lutheran church. Interestingly, Lutherans have adopted a Baptist practice of taking basically an uh, oversized um, communion veil, <clears throat> usually just white, and draping it over the whole thing, you know, sort of like the 
communion curtain. And that's it. Uh, Holy communion is done. What that is left in the mind of parishioners is this ambiguity. Is, is Christ abidingly present or not? Well, what happens to his presence with respect to um, the consecrated host? What has happened to it with respect to the wine? Well, the Lutheran practice, the art of Lutheranism was to finish off the chalice, consume everything that was left in the ciborium, that's to say the consecrated host, save for that that was going to be brought to homebound parishioners and remove everything from the altar to signal the conclusion of the sacramental presence of Jesus Christ in giving his body and blood. So the second talk speaks about that and how that's an important custom for us within Lutheranism. The third talk is about private confession and absolution and how controversies have arisen time and time again within Lutheranism because we have mistakenly and uh, to our detriment adopted a Calvinist definition of what is a sacrament. And in the Calvinist definition, you have to have a physical element, a physical sign. In the Lutheran confessions, that is not so. It is a ceremony. It is a rite or ceremony that is important. And so holy absolution has always fallen under the denomination of what is properly a sacrament. And so this tradition of Calvinist definition of the sacrament, which of course corresponds with the evangelicals, has made its way into the uh, Luther's small catechism explanations. And it abided there for almost 200 years until, um, praise be to God, Concordia Publishing House in the 2017 edition of Luther's small catechism went back to a correct definition, that's to say, to the confessional definition of what is a sacrament. So in my third talk, I'm substantiating from the scriptures, from the confessions, from Lutheran practice, that private confession and holy absolution and even general absolution that takes place during the divine service is in fact a bona fide sacrament, that in it Christ is speaking and providing absolution for his people. So much to learn about all of these things. This is going to be a wonderful conference. Why are these topics important to the people that you uh, that you teach to the to the Latvian Church uh, and to the the Eurasia region? They're in a high liturgical culture. So whether it be the Italians in Italy or our partners there in Romania who are surrounded by the Orthodox Church, liturgy is is front and center the rhythm and practices of the church, as well as the uniformity of that practice in the church is highly regarded. Lutheran practice has tended to to generate more toward congregational practice rather than having a uniformity, which is why, though it seems strange to us in the West, in our Eastern partner churches, there will be bishops And one of the roles of the bishops, as St. Irenaeus has taught us all the way back in the second century, is to provide uniformity of belief and practice, not in a dictatorial kind of way, but in a way that seems fitting and prudent for churches. So it's important that we're talking about the lost art of Lutheranism, that which is united Lutheranism visibly in terms of its practice, its presentation and engagement with culture, particularly in cultures that are highly sacramental, liturgical, and traditionary. 
share with us more about how we can attend the upcoming conference, The Lost Art of Lutheranism, coming up March 12th through the 14th. Well, the Reverend Dr. Soren Tripp is the one who organized it. Uh, I do have the links, so I'm going to welcome anyone to just simply email me, and I'm happy to forward the three links to the conference. Uh, they begin, let's see here, at, oh, goodness. for I 730? think it's. Uh, yeah, that's Central European time. So on the that would be, I believe, twelve thirty Central time on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can dial in for free. If you want to write me directly uh, to my personal email address, that's the um, John dot at lcms dot org. That's J O H N dot B O M B A R O at lcms.org, jambabaro at lcms.org. I'm happy to send you the three links uh, and the advertisement for the upcoming conference. Very good. And we'll share information in the program notes today as well Mm -hmm. from Dr. Trifa as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Bambaro, for sharing with us. I feel like I got a great theology class, like a seminary level theology class this morning (laughs) on the history of Lutherans in uh, this part of, in this region of the world. Oh man, my my brain kind of feels expanded. Uh, So thanks so much, Dr. Bambaro, for being our guest on the Coffee Hour this morning, sharing with us about this great upcoming conference, The Lost Art of Lutheranism. Well, it's a privilege to serve you and yours as a missionary in the LCMS. It's honestly the greatest privilege of my life. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.